Hello all and welcome to another instalment of Talking T20 with me, Daniel Norcross, and the wunderkind, the whiz kid of ESPN Quick Info itself, Matt Roller. Welcome aboard again, Matt. Thanks very much for having me yet again, Dan. It is always a pleasure, uh, particularly in this extraordinary week, a week in which the Vitality Blast has blasted off. We had a London derby, we've had a Roses match, we've had hat-tricks galore, yes and I mean galore, We've also had Barbara Azam score in the small matter of 178 runs for one dismissal in losing causes in two matches that Somerset have lost. A side I know you tipped and were rather fancying at the start of the season. A side that, whilst not yet drinking in the last chance saloon, must be slightly concerned about their form. Uh, but tell me, Barbara Azam has hit the news for other reasons. Well, quite. Apparently there were 1.5 million views on the uh, Somerset live stream yesterday which uh, Ben Warren down there has labelled the Babar exam effect. But, as you, as you rightly point out, Somerset have started pretty slowly. They're, they're uh, one win and three defeats, I believe. Um, but they'll, they'll rem- their fans, I'm sure, will remember last year, starting with a win, then two losses, uh, and then going on quite some run once they sort of use those early games to, uh, to work out some kind of game plan. Are you suggesting uh, they're the Mumbai <laughs> Indians of the Vitality T20 blast. I'm suggesting that they shouldn't be written off just yet, but I will. I will say that um, something isn't quite right with either their batting or their bowling right at the moment because they've they've had a very strange couple of defeats this week. Where they, I think they've only lost eight wickets in those two games, um, despite the fact they've lost both of them. Um, which... Absolutely spot on. They lost to Hampshire when they scored 172 for three. Lost to Sussex. No disgrace in that when they scored 171 for five. So they, they're getting runs. You say it's a problem with their batting. I think it's a bit of both. I think looking at their their bowling options, I don't think Van der Merwe has had the usual stellar season. He, he's one of these a typical blast unsung hero, really. Someone with these slightly. He's, no one has bought a ticket to go and watch Roller Van der Merwe bowl. But he's the sort of guy that will plug away usually with a, a four over spell and take one for thirty and you know go off and score twelve off with the bat and no one will remember it but at the end of the season he'll be there in the statistics but it's been a slow start for him it's been a slow start for Jerome Taylor um, he's quite an odd overseas pick doesn't really play a lot of T20 anymore doesn't really play a lot of cricket anymore but Somerset have got him um, and I think to be honest the main miss has been Corey Anderson um, who scored runs at about 180 strike rate last year and rescued them from difficult positions with the bat and uh, it, you know his contract wasn't renewed, and for all Babar's runs, he's not quite had the same effect in dragging them over the line. Well, since you give me a very fulsome response to uh, Somerset's <laughs> travails, as I knew you would do, uh, let's kick off in the South Group because we've seen hat tricks. I said hat tricks galore. There was an absolutely classy one from Tom Curran, mm-hmm. like a proper, almost like a Test match hat trick, a, a bold and two catches at slip. Not something you see that often in T20. In a genuinely remarkable, epoch-making, history-defining victory <laughs> for Surrey against Glamorgan. A side they'd never beaten in T20 at the Oval and bundled them out for 44. Three of Surrey's bowlers, Tom Curran, Imran Tahir and Gareth Batty, each taking three wickets for under 10 runs. I scurried around the, the record books. I couldn't find a, a similar triptych of genius, a triple genius. <laughs> And what a way to put a, a hoodoo to rest. I mean, it hasn't been the perfect week for Surrey, but almost that makes up for everything, doesn't it? Because Glamorgan have been the monkey on their back for seven years now. I've been at the Oval where the crowd have booed Surrey, booed them after mm. Glamorgan bowled them out for under 100. 
they always, always seem to do badly against the Welsh side, and yet this time they put that to bed with an emphatic victory. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that. I, I didn't see the game, but reading about it, it sounded like Glamorgan fielded very well, bowled pretty well, and I think Surrey made 140 or so, and the verdict at half-time seemed to be that that wasn't much of a score, but, yeah, when you come out and someone takes a hat-trick in the second over, you're, you're always well in the game, it's fair to say. Well, you've got a feel for Andrew Salty. He picked up four wickets mm. in that match, four for 23, but maybe there was something going on with the pitch. Let, let's use Surrey as our gateway drug to the South Group because they have had the perfect week in many ways. They've won one, they've lost one, and they've tied one. So their fans have, have had a roller coaster ride. Start at the beginning of the week with the London Derby again emphatically beaten on this occasion by Middlesex. It's almost as if it's a bizarro world at the Oval. England, uh, England, Surrey play Middlesex and win at the Oval. Surrey play Glamorgan and lose. Well, the tables have been turned this week, and Middlesex, who have had a shoddy, dismal record in T20, have had a well, a, a pretty wonderful week. One, two, lost that one game, but. They're looking tasty, aren't they? That pace attack, Finn back in the wickets. Roland Jones taking a four for thirty. What is it? He's taking four for thirty-five. Uh, he's got more as well. A couple of twofers, I think. They've got Helm. They've got Finn. It's looking like a strategy that's working for Middlesex, isn't it? Well, I think the most impressive thing about the two Middlesex wins, this, well, the one Middlesex win this week was that it came without Avi de Villiers, who. Uh, perhaps conveniently managed to pick up a hand injury which meant he missed the two non-London games of his stint as overseas player um, and there was also, there was a nice story in uh, his replacement where uh, he'd only been registered the day before this a man called Dan Lincoln uh, he, he batted at three in the games at Cheltenham and at Cardiff uh, and he had only been registered a day before He's 24, I think, uh, and has played a lot of seconds cricket for Middlesex and played for Berkshire. Uh, but he also, in a sort of throwback to the 1920s or 30s, uh, is one of these guys who doubles up and plays football in the winter. Uh, so he he uh, he's Bognor Regis Town's goalkeeper in non-league football. This I did uh, not know. And the club had quite a nice tweet where they, they said, uh, you know, we're delighted to see uh, Lynx or whatever get a game, game for Middlesex today you know, small shoes to fill or something like that after he <laughs> stepped into the De Villiers' uh, void. But, yeah, no, Middlesex, um, I, I've written them off in our past two pods and I'm slightly beginning to wonder whether I was too harsh and whether something's going to be dragged up in terms of uh, some some horrible audio to remind me of my the error of my ways in late September. But we're, we shall see. I'm, I'm still not entirely sold, um, but one thing I will say is that they do seem to have much more of an evident game plan with the ball than they have in previous years. They've quite often rested senior bowlers um, for T20, but Finn and Roland Jones and Helm are all playing this time around. Uh, Majib has been very good bowling three of their power play overs almost every game by the looks of things. Um, and in Dawid Milan, they've got a guy who is an extremely classy T20 option at the top of the order, and he probably won't quite make it into England squad for the T20 World Cup uh, this time well, well that does seem odd year. doesn't it I mean he's got, he's got that got that 100 against Surrey uh, 117 off 57 balls when he came into the England side he came in with a bang mm. uh, it seems strange doesn't it because he does look like a T20 specialist the sort of guy you'd think England would be after I think it's just England have a perennial problem where because of the fact that there's so many teams 
the best player in each team usually wants to face as many balls as possible so it goes to the top of the order which means that you get this influx of people who all want to open for England and then there's kind of a bit of a void in terms of people who would bat four, five, six, seven. Um, so you get people filling in in positions they're not used to and Milan compared to someone like uh, uh, maybe a Ben Stokes or a Joss Butler who while they generally bat at the top of the order for their county would always be able um, to, to finish an innings pretty well and more versatile players I think Milan is probably slightly more of a specialist needs a, a, a little bit longer to get going a little bit longer to dig in well the one team that's saved your blushes this week uh, on, in regards to Middlesex is Gloucestershire mm. Gloucestershire finally get, got out in the park after two no results they got to play a game it was against Middlesex Middlesex who have won three out of four and the one game they lost was against Gloucestershire Gloucestershire are they going to be dark horses in this group, do you think? Uh, it's very early days. They, they sort of snuck over the line um, in that they had... Miles Hammond was opening. He was a sort of... Under the radar, he was a breakout star of last year's tournament. Um, he scores a lot of runs and boundaries. He's a sort of Ed Pollock's light, almost, in that he's a pinch hitter, but, take, you know, he's, he scores at 170 rather than 250 or whatever ridiculous numbers Pollock was registering last year. Um and you know they have all these canny all-rounders like your Graham Van Buren's and your Benny Howell Ryan Higgins people like this who who will chip in and contribute I think it's it's foolish to write off Gloucestershire They've, they they do have a decent side they have a lot of players who have played a lot of T20 uh, and I think a lot of their team are probably up for T20 a lot more than other formats I think it's you know it suits them to free the shackles a little bit um Compared to the sort of the, the slightly different pace of Championship cricket, um, but yeah, I think um, what, I'll probably reserve judgment until we've had a couple more games. I noted it was the, the third consecutive time that they've had a washout at Chelmsford the other night, um, which you'd have to say is a bit of a, a bit of a shame. And well, also very unusual because mm. Chelmsford is one of the drier grounds in the country, being a bit further east. I think we did something on this on Test Match Special and established that there are fewer days lost to rain fewer hours lost to rain in Chelmsford than any other ground in the country but they have been bedeviled by poor weather they uh, they were during the, the women's match as well though it was pretty grim and grisly and grey Essex after that magnificent performance against Surrey last week which we waxed lyrical over Cameron Delport come back to earth with a bit of a bump that abandonment of course but also losing a match this week so they ended up the, the week lost one, abandoned one, just a one point for them. The only side in the South group to have a 100% record was the, the team that played just the one game, Kent, and they retain a 100% record, albeit having only played three games for a very bright start from Kent. Yeah, as you would have heard on the past two podcasts, uh, I've been tipping them as dark forces for the season. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think they're... The interesting thing for Kent will be how much of Joe Denley they see and when they when they do see when and if they see Joe Denley whether he'll be sort of in the right frame of mind to be going out and scoring runs because the sort of the well they won't see him for a while will well they? the because understanding seems to be that he might be bumped up to open in the ashes in a sort of a, a reshuffle of the top four um, which would see what with Roy three, down at three Root at three and Roy at four that's that's one of the possibilities um, that seems to be being floated at the moment and if that is the case then there's a, a slight um, you know I, I don't think anyone would be too envious of Joe Denley filling up in that in that no but it also means that you would imagine he'd be given at least a couple of games possibly True. three which is going to take him deep into August True. and therefore 
pretty much out of Kent's campaign, you'd True. imagine, which is a blow for Kent, although they will, they will, of course, say that they're delighted for Denley. Let's take a look at Sussex. They're my pre-season tip. I absolutely adore Sussex. And the return of Reese Topley, who picked up four for 33 against Hans. Did he also get... I mean, that's quite some return, isn't it? Yeah, he... Um He's, he's, I think he's coming back from his fifth stress fracture of the back and he's still in his mid-twenties. It's, um, it's quite some effort, um, for him to be on the park at all, let alone, uh, the fact that he's, he's back and taking wickets. But yeah, he, he just forms part of an attack that is clearly very strong. Even missing Archer, they've had people like Ollie Robinson and Aaron Thomason filling in and chipping away, taking wickets. Um, but I think the most interesting story about Sussex over the course of the week, I don't know if you, you saw this, was Alex Carey's bizarre weekend. So on uh, on Thursday, he was finishing off on the pre-Ashes training camp with Australia at the Aegeus Bowl. and found out he wouldn't be selected. So he stayed Thursday night um, down in Southampton with the plan to come up to Hove on Friday uh, and play in the Friday night game against Surrey. When he got to Hove, uh, he realised when they were sort of Crossing the uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's on his registration form, that he was still on a visa that only permitted him to play international cricket because he was there from the World Cup and hoping to play in the Ashes. Um, and to change that, um, I, I don't fully understand the ins and outs of all these visa regulations. Really, I don't, it sounds like amazes me. That. <laughs> I, I thought you'd have been on top of uh, Home Office and Foreign Office. It sounds uh, as though he he had to get basically go out of the country and come back in again. Which doesn't sound like too difficult a feat until oh, you remember. Off to France, maybe. Until you remember that this was a July weekend, uh, and he was looking to travel at the weekend, ah. uh, just at the start of the summer holidays. Uh, so the club scoured, you know, some price comparison sites, and found that the cheapest option, including a hotel, was to fly him to Geneva. So he went on Saturday morning at eight o'clock to Geneva. Had a little, I, I assume, uh, cruised around Geneva by himself for a few hours uh, and then was on the first flight back uh, that, sorry, did, got his passport he, stamped having missed Friday's game did he stay the night do you no know? I believe he, he went on Saturday morning <coughs> to Geneva and came back in the evening uh, and then eventually on Sunday morning travelled down to Taunton and then for good measure hit a match winning 78 that is quite a story and, and a brilliant signing don't you think as well I was oh. quite surprised that he wasn't picked for the Ashes squad went down to the Aegeus Bowl to see them um, I assumed that he would be the reserve wicketkeeper, but that is a magnificent break, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great bit of business. It's, um, I think it's a little bit of the... There's a certain bit of the who you knows about it, where uh, Gillespie is very good at getting in people he's coached for Adelaide, um, and so they obviously have Rashid Khan as well, um, and he's got a certain set of contacts down there, and there's clearly there's a bit of a Gillespie draw as well as the Sussex draw, and living on the coast and all that all that stuff but yeah he's he's a he's an exceptional player of spin um and adds to a Sussex side that you'd say if there was one thing missing from it last year it was probably a little bit of middle order firepower and it looks like he's going to bat four with Rawlins and Visa and these guys beneath him so I think with you know coming in after Right Salt right well. and Evans in the top three yeah. I think they have a pretty formidable side it looks like the all round package doesn't it now it looks absolutely perfect with uh, especially with the left arm of Topley supplementing they'll probably lose Joffre Archer you'd imagine for the vast bulk of the tournament but he did come back made an appearance played one game picked up a couple of wickets Hampshire they've played two matches they won one lost one they lost their game to Sussex, which we've discussed, but they beat 
Somerset chasing down 172 with relative ease, six wickets down. It just looks again, doesn't it, that the South group, well, both groups actually, but the South group's going to be tightly bunched. If we take a look at the top of the table, Kent, unbeaten so far with a 100% record, played 3-1-3, have six points. Middlesex hot on their heels, played 4-1-3 with six points. Sussex played 4-1-2, that tie against Surrey, absolutely thrilling game, notable for Imran Tahir, hitting a six at a crucial moment at the end. I mean, that's a the champagne moment of the vitality mm, mm. T20 blast for me so far. Uh, they've won two, lost one, tied one, so they also have six points. Three teams tied at the top with six. Gloucestershire, it's hard to tell. We don't know much about them yet because they've only notionally played three games. Two of those matches were abandoned. The one win, they have four points. Surrey, in and out, and struggling at times with the ball, been shellacked to all parts, but then come back with that stunning victory against Glamorgan. And you'd have to say a tie at Hove under those circumstances is a pretty decent result for Surrey. So they're slap bang in mid-table, played for 1-1, lost two, tied one with three points. Essex also have three points from four. Hampshire have three points from four. Somerset, just the two points from four. And Glamorgan fading and in some trouble, having played the four matches and lost three of them. They've just got that one no result from the abandonment. They prop up the table with one point. So that's the South group. We mentioned hat-tricks. Uh, hat-tricks in the South group. Hat-trick in the North group as well. Correct, yeah. Matty Potts of, uh, of Durham managed to get perhaps one of the least glamorous hat-tricks uh, you could imagine by striking to remove Dieter Klein, Callum Parkinson and Chris Wright with the last three balls of the innings. I mean, that's a top-quality uh, hat-trick, isn't it? That's the one up there with Jordan Clark. Yeah. <laughs> one of the Williams championship last. And the best, though, wasn't Yeah, it? yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that was, that's quite something. I don't know whether the hat-trick's <laughs> being devalued or, or whether... It's just inevitable. You're going to see more hat-tricks in T20 cricket. Yeah. Fewer fewer balls, you get the opportunity to bowl at lower-order batsmen swinging from the hip. That will occur. It's not the entire story of Matt Potts' week, though. Against Worcestershire, he bowled three overs, none for 50. There have been some runs this week. And let's start with Worcestershire, because Martin Guptill, out of form in a dreadful place throughout the World Cup... Well, he, yesterday, what was that partnership they put on? It was absolutely stunning. 148 between Martin Guptill and Ricky Vessels in 8.5 overs. Guptill ended up with 86 from 31. Vessels with 74 from 29. Very similar to Cameron Delport and Dan Lawrence against Surrey, who put on 135 in 7 overs, I think. We're looking at mammoth partnerships. You've already mentioned 161 for 1, I think. That, uh, that that Durham racked up with is that Cameron Steele? I mean, we we need to talk about these openers. There, he we've mentioned Phil Salt. There's guys at the top of the order who, much like in the World Cup, are sort of winning matches almost in those first ten overs with with really dramatic opening partnerships. It, w- it was in fact Scott Steele who is you know. Sorry, I in, beg your pardon, Scott in, uh, Steele. In yes. Sort of typical Northern powerhouse uh, nominative determination is another Durham opener with that surname. But yeah, he um, yeah Durham were on both sides of it, weren't they? They, they absolutely annihilated Leicestershire, um, which led Paul Nixon to sort of be defending. Uh, various shooting from the hip from fans on Twitter saying this isn't good enough and then uh, yeah Nixon then pointed out after the, after Leicestershire you know roundly did not at their home on their own turf uh, and after Worcestershire had destroyed Durham that this is you know thus is the beast in T20 cricket um, but yeah no uh, Martin Guptill and Ricky Vessels is as 
exciting a partnership as you can imagine, really, isn't it? You know, Gupta was horribly out of form uh, in the World Cup, but last summer he hit an unbelievable uh, innings of, of sort of similar numbers. Uh, Let's put it into fans. perspective: is it 184 for one, chasing down 182 to win. Mm. Against the Durham side, have had a, a decent-ish yeah. start to the T20, and probably outperforming some of their fans' expectations. Certainly, 184 for one, but they did that in 12.1 overs. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's 15 and over. This is just absurd scoring rates we're it, seeing sometimes. It, it's remarkable how regularly this happens in the blast as well, where you you know you ex- you see scores in certain T20 competitions and you assume it's a flat pitch and you know often in the blast it is a fairly flat pitch the boundaries are reasonably far in but I think you know there are pe- people are willing to because it's a long competition and because teams are often bunched people are willing to risk stuff all their net run rate um, to the extent that you know why would you not keep the foot down once you've started like that so in a in a in a six or seven game competition you might be thinking when when you're in that sort of position, you know, 150 after nine overs with 30 to get, let's just knock it about a bit. But knowing that that could be the difference between, you know, a home quarterfinal and an away quarterfinal, or an away quarterfinal and out in the groups, people are going to keep keep attacking. Well, in that ma- mammoth or massive Durham win, um, Darcy Short, Scott Steele, put on 133 in 9.4 overs, 77 off 36 for Darcy Short it looks like a tremendous signing for Durham 70 off 30 for Steele and he, that's not the first time he's done it this season I think we're going to see a little bit more from him throughout this Vitality T20 blast I spoke to a man who knows him pretty well at Durham who said he's very very much a he's a white ball player he strikes the ball very cleanly he has great clarity of mind I think we're going to might be hearing a little bit more from him Lancashire though let's talk about the Roses match mm. and another fantastic night at Headingley, it never never fails to draw in the crowds. We'll talk briefly about crowds before we get on to that match. There's some confusing statistics, but we have to believe them. Lancashire saying that they had a 300% uplift in ticket sales. I think it must be equivalent matches they're talking about because Surrey said exactly the same thing an 88% uplift, and the Oval is frequently sold out. So I guess that's for the equivalent match between Surrey and Glamorgan, which looked to have been a sellout. Crowds have really come bursting and we're going to mention this every week I think because the uplift from the World Cup is really seeping into this this year's t- tournament isn't it? Yeah 100% and I, th- I think teams have, have been sort of privately at least saying that they're, they're um, frustrated with how things are how things are going in terms of the lack of marketing from the ECB and the lack of visibility they think they're getting I think people um, you know, I saw Ben Brown was tweeting yesterday about the, the game that he, he wasn't actually involved in because Kerry had come in for him. But he was saying, you know, we're on a Sunday afternoon. It's a full house at Taunton. It's a brilliant game. Where someone said just full short chasing 180 odd. We've got Baba, one of the world's best. T- well, according to the ICC, the world's best T20 batsman um, sc- scoring runs in a chase. We've got all these guys like Mills and Topley and uh, Kerry on show and Wright and not enough people are seeing them obviously we know people do watch them on YouTube but the fact that that game wasn't televised I think or, or you know just the sheer quantity of t- games that aren't televised is a source of immense frustration for the counties but um, yeah they're doing all they can I saw a big poster at Richmond Station today of A.B. de Villiers' face trying to get people to buy tickets for their game on Sunday which I think is very close to being sold out uh, social media is doing really well here though isn't it I, I 
got to see Ed Barnard taking an oh. absolutely sensational diving right-handed catch on the boundary. Among the best you'll see. I know we see so many brilliant catches, but really, it was stunning. Just to confirm what a great all-round cricketer Ed Barnard is, mm. I, I got to see that on Twitter. So the counties, some of them have got more than just the fixed cameras at each end. We're starting to see a little bit more seeping in. This seems to be a good initiative. We started to see a little bit more of that in the county championship as well. I know Surrey have got more than the two cameras and it starts to look like a, well actually it sort of looks like a late 70s, early 80s cricket production. But that's going to help and that's going to help, I guess, keep everybody up to date with what's going on and understand the desire with the 100 to ensure that every game is televised as it would be the Big Bash or the Caribbean Premier League or um, the IPL. But when you have 18 counties, it has been traditionally difficult, and this seems to be a fairly good solution to it so far, or at least helping on that way. But let's get back to the Roses clash, because it did not lack for any of the normal atmosphere, excitement, uh, anxiety of both sides. Mm -hmm. And a pretty tight game in the end, that Lancashire won by nine runs. Yeah, and sealed by Saqib Mahmood's three wickets. And what, what a what prospect a, he is. Yeah, he, you know, bowling high 80s, low 90s, I imagine, miles an hour, and was... Yeah, he looks like a, a serious talent for the future. But yeah, it was, and well, and for the present, I should add. But yeah, he, you know, it looked like a, a typical Razors game, full house, people enjoying themselves far too much, and yeah, just just like, what a spectacle it is when when teams get it really right. What impressed me about Lancashire, well, actually, this season is that when I go through and look at all the scorecards, or I check things through every night and see who's been the big name. Lancashire don't have necessarily big names performing. They've got a really good composite, it seems to me. They've got a really interesting balance of bowling and Faulkner, Maxwell, Parkinson, et al. Liam Livingston picking up a few wickets this week. Their batting just seems to be not it, not one standout. I mean, they're waiting for Glenn Maxwell, I imagine, mm -hmm. to score that remarkable 100 that you know is in him. But other people are compensating. Still got Stephen Croft doing what yeah. he does. It's, it looks like a balanced team, doesn't it, Lancashire? Yeah, and they've got a lot of people who can bat in different spots as well. Um, so, you know, the, in terms of potential openers, there's Davis, there's Croft, there's, I suppose, Jennings, there's Maxwell, there's, uh, you know, all sorts. And then I saw there were, there, there was some criticism the other day about the fact they didn't bring in James Faulkner early enough, but equally, James Faulkner no longer really has that role as the finisher in T20 cricket. He actually scores surprisingly slowly at the death and instead they, they fancied I think it was Josh Bohannon instead of him and there's just a lot of flexibility there I think uh, they, they have sort of defined roles in the team uh, but people that but but characters who can fit into a different one of those defined roles if you follow my mm -hmm. my train of thought um, and they have a lot of a lot of people who will chip in regularly Mahmood Parkinson Gleeson even uh, yeah and Maxwell will surely at some point start firing with the bat they just have to hope that um, that comes late in the tournament we had on last week's pod Harry Gurney talking about not trying to peak, up, peak on finals day you know they back, they back themselves to have enough talent to get through the group uh, and then it's about peaking on, on the day itself and you know, getting better through the course of the tournament. Lancashire has started like a bullet train, but equally, if if you know, they shouldn't lose all hope if they have a few bad results, because no team is going to go through this entire competition with 17 wins and no losses. It, it just doesn't work like that. You will lose games on the way. Well, Harry Gurney himself had a bit of an up and down week. Five for 30 against Derby in a win, and then 
none for four, one for 40 I beg your pardon three overs against Leicestershire Nottinghamshire hadn't started the competition too well got on the board this week with two wins earlier in the week and then their third match they lost and they lost it to Leicestershire which will irritate them because they just looked like they were starting to get some momentum going in what is again a really uh, competitive group Lancashire at the top unbeaten with eight points from five matches three wins two no results there have been a few abandonments a few more abandonments in the North group Worcestershire last year's winners played for 1-2 lost one and one no result this week they had a win and a loss Birmingham Bears who sort of go a little bit under the radar we may have to spend a little bit more time on them next week played for 1-2 lost one and one no result so they also have five points as do not will be kicking themselves at losing to Leicester they've won two lost two and a, a no result Yorkshire got on the board with a win this week they had a, again the sort of perfect record 1-1 lost one abandoned one this week but it means they've picked up three points on the week they have four points from five games Durham as I say a little bit of a surprise played for one two lost two part of the surprise is that they've not had one abandoned yet they're the only side in the north group not to they have four points and then three teams at the bottom clustered on three points no surprise at all in this order North Hans Derby Leicester you pretty much predicted that I think everybody pretty much predicted that in the north group that those were the three teams along with Durham you'd say who are going to struggle I think you picked four out of the top five Mm. I think I, I, I'm slightly reticent about having written off Northampton a bit. Of course much. you I are, just, because they're that sort of team. Exactly, and I saw there were just hints of form from a couple of people we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So Fahim Ashraf uh, was was destroying some stumps with his trademark Yorkers, and even Matt Coles had a little pinch hitting fifteen. That it, you know, Coles' career is one of unrealised potential you're but frustrated by Coles aren't you? I am I am I, I sort of I, I wish I, th- I I think I know that there is someone better in Matt Coles than, than Matt, than Matt Coles, Coles. <laughs> right. um, I think there's a better cricketer in there and I, I I hope that this is the season where you know he's around uh, people like him who, who have a similar outlook on life as he does at North Hans and can find his way to just just contribute that little bit more, get a few more wickets, have a few more innings where he, he reminds everyone that he can smack them into the next county. And yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to write them off too early. But well, they've beaten Birmingham Bears this week, yeah. so who knows? That might kickstart a campaign for the ages. Just a quick look, as we always do, at really disastrous bowling figures from this week. And poor old Ben Mike, Oof. he's bowled seven overs this week. Four against Yorkshire, three against Durham. He's gone for 110 runs. It's an unforgiving tournament when things aren't going quite right for you, isn't it? Yeah, there's, I, th- I think he might have been dropped for Gavin Griffith for their most recent game as well, on the back of that, which is probably one of the more justified selection decisions of the season. I would say so. I would say so. Sort of euthanasia. Poor old Ben Mike. Hopefully he can come back strongly. Let's take a look at the games we've got coming up. Which ones really sort of float your boat this week? Are you, are you heading off to any? Yeah, I'm, I'm following the AB de Villiers roadshow again. So I'm. At, so he's back, uh, is he? The, he, the, the he hand is fine now. The hand is supposedly fine. Uh, I'm sure it's completely coincidental that they're back in London. I'm sure it um, would be, yeah. But yeah, he's, uh, they have Kent on Thursday night and Somerset at Richmond on Sunday, which I'm particularly looking forward to. I think that, um, yeah, as I was saying, tickets have nearly sold out at least. And if uh, the, the, the prospect of... The Villiers getting in on a on a club ground with a flat deck is one I'm particularly looking forward to. Well, I too might see Kent this week. I think I'm going to toddle off to the Oval on Tuesday for 
Surrey against Kent. We expect that game to be sold out as well. Mm. Weather forecast is moderately okay. Weather has played a bit of a part this week. There's an abandoned match in the South Group. There are also a couple that were decided by Duckworth Lewis. There are two abandoned matches in the North Group. It's not been a, a lucky tournament so far with the weather and I suppose there'll be concerns that if this hit a shorter format, I don't mean as in 100 balls, but I mean if you've got that many fewer games, mm. what the Blast does have is enough games taking place around the country to compensate so that there's always a match on. If there's only one match on it gets hit by the weather, then that really can hit the, I suppose the momentum of a tournament, can't it? Yeah, and I think this would be something like week three of the hundred is the, the equivalent point to this next year so you know it would be a bit of a problem if two out of five of the team's games have been washed out at this point but we'll start talking about having to do it inside thunderdomes yeah. and have gigantic <laughs> balloons that go across the stadium i'm sure they have some kind of contingency plan but um yeah they, there is of course the fact that they are just hostage to the elements just like the rest of us a dl hundred game could be quite something as well well, you end up playing a 61-61 or something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yes. Uh, but D- DL's up to it, I yeah. have no doubt. Uh, now, by this time next week, the, we'll start to read the runes a little bit clearer, won't we? There'll be signs that have played six, seven matches, getting halfway through their campaigns. At the moment, there are no signs that are out of it, although Glamorgan look in a perilous position in the South Group. Those three teams at the bottom of the North Group, North Hans, Derby and Leicester, need to get some momentum going. be interesting to see if Lanks can keep going. There are, let's face it, only two unbeaten... Are there? No, I beg your pardon. There's one unbeaten side in the North Group. But we still have, anomalously somewhat, three unbeaten teams in the South Group. Will that change? Will that change by this time next week? We shall find out. Thank you so much for listening. From Matt Roller. Thanks very much. And from myself, Daniel Norcross. That's been Talking T20.